Good morning, church. What a what a beautiful reminder. Um, man, that that song is. Uh, if I say hard, that means that it's good. <laughs> that song was hard. Um, you know, I, I noticed in the lyrics. I mean, it, it kind of gave you the blueprint on. Um, you know. How to rise. You look at the world we live in, right? And 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 an individual or we, we all want to succeed, right? We want to thrive and we want to be good at what we do. And and you see in the world clearly people elevating themselves by any means necessary, whether it's the corporate ladder, or whatever. But in that in that song, you notice those verses said, Before my God fall on my knees, and then I'll rise, right? So in order to rise in God's kingdom. It's humility, right? Humble yourself before the true and living God and he'll esteem you. He'll lift, lift you up in his proper time, how he see fit and uh, how he sees fit, excuse me, and use you to uh, the extent that he chooses to use you. So that's a beautiful thing. It's like humility and never lose humility. Humility is such a big deal. You want peace? You want joy in your life? You want to you wanna feel uh, full and, and feel like your life has meaning and purpose? It begins with humility, right? And we, we see the great opposition of that is pride. And it's so easy for us as human beings to, to elevate ourselves and to be prideful. Uh, I'm not wrong. You're wrong. And we, we take the prideful stance, right? We, that's kind of one of the points that we'll get into in our message this morning about, you know, debates and arguments. And, you know, we, you know I don't know. It's like I have this, this, this strong urge to want to win arguments with my wife. And it's like the Lord's like, Humble yourself before the mighty hand of mine, before the mighty hand of God, and everything will work out. And that's, you know, the, 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 the crazy thing about it is, even when you believe you know that you're right, you still need to humble yourself. Woo! That's, that's tough. Even when you're right. Look at Jesus. He was right. He's the only one that could claim, man, I'm all right. I'm no sin. I'm all righteous. And what did he do? He humbled himself. That's, that's amazing. All right. Um, a couple quick uh, house things, and then we'll get into the message. So, you know, yeah, we're still in this whole protocol thing of, um, you know, trying to, you know, uh, navigate through how we stay safe being in the building, this and that. And I know that um, people have said it, it's actually warmer outside than when we're inside, you know? You, I would think, I mean, well, we're inside and, you know, it's going to be warm. But I guess, you know, we get a good uh, breeze going because we got that back door open. You got the, the front door. I don't open both front doors, the glass doors. We leave one closed. Um, but I normally would have both of those Fourier doors behind you open. Um, and... We're going to try this today where I only have one closed and see if that helps with the kind of warm issue, uh, with the cold issue. And if it gets better, hopefully it gets better. Um, I know that we're going to enter into a little warmer weather, so hopefully it's not going to be an issue. The reason why we do not run the AC or the heat is because, one, these things, as uh, uh, Mrs. Scott pointed out earlier this morning when I was talking to her, those things haven't been ran for at least a year. So I don't know what's going on with those things and how much dust and all that, whatever. And then also the whole thing of obviously 
this the CDC saying you know when you're indoors that kind of recycled air things not that not that great you know um, though it looks like we're getting better with this whole pandemic we're still kind of gonna uh, you know do our best to adhere to to things to keep everybody safe so for now um, we'll we'll see what this one Fourier door close feels like I don't know because for me you know, I'm, I'm, I'm moving and shaking once I get in here. So to me, I, I don't, I'm not cold, you know, but I mean, for you guys sitting for, you know, uh, an extended period of time, I could understand people getting cold. So uh, we'll see how this works. And if not, uh, we'll, we'll go to another thing next week and uh, we'll see what happens. Okay. Does that sound, sound fair enough for everybody? Okay. Um, the other thing is um, I'd like to mention, so, right, we have not offered children's ministry since the pandemic hit, right? Uh, simply because when we were inside, um, obviously there's no ventilation in those rooms. Our building is so small that, uh, you know, we can't really have those doors open for the kids to get ventilation. Um, my wife has been doing, um, uploading the gospel project, you know, ever since this whole thing started. And she's been home with my kids, basically, you know, doing church with them. And then anyone who has young children we make that that available for them online and they can you know go to the the website and get the information so they can do the school the the, the church with their kids there uh, well my wife um she's again scaling back her hours so that's a very good thing she's no longer going to be it's not it hasn't taken effect yet but in hopefully lord willing within the next month or so um that's going to take effect and she will no longer be working full-time hours with that it's just has been this heavy heavy burden you guys haven't really seen veronica but one time in this last year and it's been very hard on her and it's been been very uh difficult for her in the sense of she she wants to do the lord's will but it's been very difficult because of work. And so scaling back those hours is going to free her up to do other things. Um, well, we kind of had this conversation this morning and it sprung up, but she's ready to come back. Um, so we are going to start offering uh, children's ministry uh, outside or in the foyer. I don't know what that's going to look like, but um, my wife is ready to come back as of next week. So uh, for those of you that have little ones, you can bring them. Um, what I will say I need everyone to please be in prayer about is uh, a rotation, right? I know my wife, um, she'll get burnt out doing it every Sunday, every Sunday. It's just she can't, you know. So at some point, um, I'm not saying anything right now because we don't know what the Lord's going to do or what the Lord's going to stir up in different people's hearts that want to help out with that. But please just be in prayer as far as where the Lord would have you, what he, the Lord would have you to do, what maybe the Lord gives you an idea that's that's something that we could use here, where we could uh, and help facilitate that for the for the children. Though we don't have many young children, we want to service them to the best of our ability, so they don't slip through the cracks. Amen. All right, though that's it for uh, for the little house uh, call and house things that we're we're, we're doing. But um, we'll be in Acts chapter twenty four this morning. Uh, we're going to go through verses. 10 through 21. So uh, if you get there, whether you have your paperback Bible or if you've got a phone, uh, if you can and you're able to, please stand and we'll go ahead and uh, read God's word. We'll pray and then we'll get into our message this morning. So Acts chapter 24, verses 10 down through 21. All right. And it reads... And when the governor had nodded to him to speak, Paul replied, Knowing that for many years you have been a judge over this nation, I cheerfully make my defense. 
you can verify that it is not more than 12 days since I went up to worship in Jerusalem, and they did not find me disputing with anyone or stirring up a crowd, either in the temple or in the synagogues or in the city. Neither can they prove to you what they now bring up against me. But this I confess to you, that according to the way which they call a sect, I worship the God of our fathers, believing everything laid down by the law and written in the prophets. Verse 15, having a hope in God, which these men themselves accept, that there will be a resurrection of both the just and the unjust. So I always take pains to have a clear conscience towards both God and man. Now, after several years, I came to bring alms to my nation and to present offerings. While I was doing this, they found me purified in the temple without any crowd or tumult. Excuse me. But some Jews from Asia, they ought to be here before you and to make an accusation should they have anything against me. Or else let these men themselves say what wrongdoing they found when I stood before the council, other than this one thing that I cried out while standing among them, it is with respect to the resurrection of the dead that I am on trial before you this day. Let's go ahead and pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you once again just for your presence in our midst, the fact that you give your Holy Spirit to live in those that accept Jesus Christ as their Savior. Lord, may, may you now speak to us through your word. May you illuminate it, help it uh, penetrate uh, again, deep within our hearts, that we may understand your word. Give us the ability to rightfully divide it. May we see your truth and the principles in it, how it's applicable to our lives. May you give us the ability to apply what we hear uh, here this morning. May it be far more than just lip service, but may we actually uh, apply this word to our lives. Father, we thank you and we love you. We pray this all in Jesus Christ's precious name. Amen. Amen. God bless you, church. You may be seated. I've entitled this message, Contending for the Faith. Contending for the Faith. Now we get to finally hear Paul's side, right? Last week, we met an individual named uh, Tertullus, and he was basically this uh, high-powered lawyer that the, that the Jewish religious leaders hired to bring their case before Felix the governor. And he you know, did his suck-up job to the best of his ability to try to earn points so the governor, Felix, would listen to him and to build a case against Paul. Today, we're getting the opportunity to actually hear from Paul. Again, these religious leaders, they thought they brought out the big guns, right? That's like, again, if you remember the whole O.J. Simpson trial back then, I don't know, was that the 90s? Was that the late 90s? I'm, I'm like so bad with dates. That's like bringing Johnny Cochran to the room and saying, hey, he's qualified, he's got a way, he's got, he's got relationships with, with, with the judge, I'm going to get my client off. This is what the religious leaders were thinking with their lawyer. They had thought that, that the case was in the bag. They had it. The case is in the bag. But they forgot one major thing, one major factor. Paul was by himself, but was he really? 
Paul was not necessarily representing himself. He was speaking on his behalf, but it was the Lord. It was the Lord who was going before Paul and presenting the case, his defense to the governor Felix. That's a beautiful thing, right? We don't want to miss this. How reassuring is that? Think of your own unique situation right now. And I'm not talking about you being accused of something, something and having to go before uh, the, you know, a judge in the court of Santa Clara County. If it is that deep, it could be that. But in your everyday lives, the things that you and I encounter on a day-to-day basis, to know that whatever your situation is, the Lord Jesus Christ is going to bat for you. He's going before you to represent you. Deuteronomy chapter 31 verse 8 tells us this. It is the Lord who goes before you. He will be with you. He will not leave you or forsake you. Do not fear or be dismayed. Man, that's powerful. Because in this life, as a Christian... Well, as any person, you're going to go through difficult times. You're going to go through trials and tribulations. And to know that it says that the Lord goes before you. But what? They said I got cancer. You know, they said that they're repossessing my home. My marriage is falling apart. My my son, my daughter has gone astray. They're, they're, They're living a prodigal life. But it says the Lord goes before you. He will be with you. So in those times that are difficult and trying and testing, the Lord is actually with you. How comforting is that to know that, man, I'm laying in this hospital bed, but the Lord is with me. I'm not alone. I'm not just, I'm not just stuck here wondering, pondering what the outcome is going to be, but I can have peace and I can have joy in the midst of utter turmoil and trial in my life. It says, He will not leave you nor forsake you. I think, you see, I think this is a difficult thing sometimes for us to comprehend because we think, okay, that just means I'm physically never going to go through nothing. That's not true. I mean, my arms can get severed off in a car wreck. Lord willing, that doesn't happen when I leave here, right? The jaws of life, they got to take the jaws of life to get you out. Now you're a paraplegic for the rest of your life. Does that mean that the Lord Jesus Christ has left you? Certainly not. Difficult, hard things that are unfortunate like that happen to people who are saved and not saved. The thing, the thing is this. The enemy of God, who is Satan, can never take your soul or tarnish your soul so long as you've humbled yourself, like that song says, before your God, accept Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. We all know we're going to go into a casket or go into an urn, right? It's only a matter of time. I'm not talking doom and gloom, but it's the reality, right? If we never think about death, if we never think about the afterlife, we are very naive to just be here and be like, well, I'm in Northern California. I'm in Milpitas. I'm in California. You know, um, it's, um, we're, we're doing what we're doing everything. I see golf land. I just, you know, all those things are cool. But that's not the point. The point is we have a certain amount of time on this earth and we're all going to punch our ticket out. The thing is, where will you go when it's your time to punch your ticket? If you've accepted Jesus Christ as your personal savior, meaning I'm not talking about putting your hand up and having someone pray for you. That can be that too. But I'm talking about just when you know in your heart of hearts, you can't fake it with nobody else. You've had that moment. You've had that moment. You can't explain, but you know something has changed. Something has come upon you. 
and has altered your life for the rest of your life, that's that transformation where you've been saved. You know, right? That's all that it's about. You, your personal relationship with Jesus Christ. From that flows everything else. Once you have that, you know that no matter what happens physically in this life, emotionally, psychologically, mentally, whatever, all the abuse, the different things that go on, right? Because let's be real. Things happen that are difficult. I'd be sitting up here lying if I said, it's a bed of roses, you're not going to go through nothing. You're going to go through all kinds of stuff. Despite the most difficult things you will go through in this life, if you have given your life to Jesus Christ, you can rest assured that the Lord will go before you, that he is with you, that he will never leave you or forsake you. And he's telling you and I, do not have fear. Do not be fearing anything. Do not be dismayed by what you see, right? We walk by faith, not by sight. If we are to look at the circumstances of this country right now, and if we base our livelihood and our well-being on what we see going on in Congress and all this and that, we're going to fall apart. You're just going to have a disastrous day. You're going to have a disastrous life. You're not going to celebrate Easter good. You're not going to celebrate Christmas good. You're not going to have a good time because you're going to be all stressed out because the thing is just imploding (laughs) from the inside out. Let's keep it real. It's just, you know, again, that's why it comes back to whether you have kids or not, if you're married or single, it all starts in the home. It doesn't even start here with the church. It starts with that personal relationship you have with Jesus Christ. Gird the people around you up in the truth. Right? It expands as we come together, but we have to have that revival. That's revival. I think I've talked about this briefly last week. A lot of times people think about revival, they just have this idea of Billy Graham. That's a great example. That's not the whole thing. Revival starts with you. You gotta have that conviction, that conversion, that desire to see your life woken up and now you want to serve the Lord. Okay, now you're there. That's revival. Now you're pliable. Now the Lord can do any and everything through your life and you can see great things happen. I'm not trying to ramble on, but this is just the reality of what this is and how, how deep just this one verse is about the Lord going before you and I. It's such a beautiful thing. Paul rested in Jesus Christ for his victory and not in his own understanding. We as well should always look to find our rest in Christ and nothing else. Amen? All right, we have several main points that are going to be, uh, that are going to explain this, this, this portion of Scripture. And the first one is this. How you and I contend for the faith should be with joy, should not be with any form of condescending, simply so we can win a debate or an argument. You see, in Paul's opening statement here, he said, I cheerfully make my defense. Who does this? Who goes before a judge, let alone someone who doesn't even have a lawyer vouching for them and says, Your Honor, I cheerfully make my defense. And and this was genuine. This wasn't a show. This wasn't a gimmick. He wasn't doing like uh, the Jewish lawyer and trying to win points with the governor Felix. He truly meant this. Right. When you think about it, defense attorneys, excuse me, they go in to prove that their client is innocent and their tactics don't include. Well, you know, Joe Schmo over here, my client, 
He's cheerful. Thus, he's innocent. Because you see that big smile on his face? You see those nice, clean veneers? That, that means he's innocent because he, he, he looks like he's cheerful. You see, Paul's defending the faith came from a place of genuine love. There was authenticity in what Paul's statement sounded like because he was an authentic follower of Christ. He wasn't simply trying to be right. He was authentic in his keeping of the truth. Many times we come across people or maybe we've done it ourselves, right? Maybe we've done it in, in, in the comfort of our homes. And I always use the example of husbands and wives. And I guess that's just that's what the Lord shows me because a lot of these things come up with me and my wife at times. But many times people will debate about things simply so that they can prove their perspective is correct. They get into a talk. They get into a conversation and someone has a certain perspective. Someone else have a, has another perspective. And, and at some point, one person wants to outdo the other person. They want to prove that how they're seeing the reality that they're speaking of is true and the other is not. The satisfaction that they get only comes by proving the other person wrong. But there's no genuine, real concern for the person that they are debating or arguing with. I'm sure we can attest to that, that we've seen that go on at some point in our lives with people, if it was not us personally. This was not the case with Paul. His true desire was the hope that these Jewish leaders and even Felix, this wicked governor from Rome in Caesarea, would see the truth of who Jesus Christ is and how their acceptance of him would only benefit their lives continually. That's, that's what Paul's desire was. That's what his hope was. That, that's what he saw to be true. That's what he wanted more than anything. It was the joy that the Lord had allowed Paul to experience that filled him with cheerfully making this defense. You see, you see how the chain went? It's because Paul had uh, this intimate relationship with Jesus Christ that he could go before the governor in such a way that he wasn't being uh, overly confident. He wasn't being arrogant. He was humble, but he was sincere in his sharing that I'm cheerful to come before you because I know who goes before me. It is the Lord God Almighty. Paul knew even in this circumstance, he would be used to give God the glory. It pleased Paul to be a servant of the Lord, whether the circumstances in his life were favorable or not. And, and that's, a, that's a nod to, to what we need to do as well. And you follow the life, obviously, our greatest example of Jesus Christ, right? You always go back to uh, the Garden of Gethsemane and he's sweating drops of blood profusely, right? And he asked his father, is there any way for this to be done apart from me having to give my own life and lay my life down upon that cross and die a gruesome death? And obviously there was some kind of communication between him and the father. And what did Jesus Christ say? Never, nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. Father, okay, if this is the way we got to roll, we got to roll, we got to roll. I'm with it. It's going to be difficult, but I'm going to get through it. And so that's our example there. In all things, whatever 
the circumstances lean to us, we are to follow the Lord and be obedient in all things for Him and His glory. And we will be filled to the capacity the best way only then. Sometimes we think, well, this is a little too difficult, Lord. I, I want to do it my own way. And we think we're going to be okay. And we think we're going to get out and it's going to be good. How many of us have done that? I know I've done that plenty of times. And you know what? I end up on the short end of the stick. I thought I had a better idea than God. And the Lord's, again, it goes back to, I'm going before you. I'm going to be with you. Don't be dismayed. Don't have fear. But yet we get skittish and we buck out because we're like, I don't want to go through that difficulty. Trust the Lord. He's going to go through it with you. It's far better you with him than you without him, no matter what the circumstances are. Amen. All right. The second main point is this. Always, always be willing to identify with Jesus Christ no matter what. There is no one foot in and one foot out in the Christian faith. You're either all in or you're not. You're all out. If you're one foot in, you're out. Well, you know what? And I don't want to get into all that because the reality is, yes, the Lord is doing the work on people. And so people can be like, well, you know, I'm, I'm dabbling in the Christian faith. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about once you know fully what Christ has done for you, it's either you're in, you're in Christ or you're not. You cannot straddle the line. You cannot straddle the fence. You see, Paul was willing to identify with being a follower of Jesus Christ even when it wasn't popular. He didn't shy away from his position in Christ. He embraced it all the more when the circumstances were difficult. He was not what we would call today a fair-weather Christian, right? Only identifying with Jesus Christ when it's convenient. But the moment the pressure is applied and the pressure's on, they immediately distance themselves from Jesus Christ. You see this a lot in young people. Not all the time, because you see this a lot sometimes in, in, older, in older people too. Situation where, okay, you got a group of people, and it's, man, Mr. Joe Popular over there, and all of a sudden, you know, I don't want to profess my faith. I don't, want to, I don't want to let people know I'm a Christian. And everybody's cursing and doing whatever. And it's like, oh, well, I'll kind of bend my, 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 my morals a little bit just so I'm not looked at as a, as a geek or, or a nerd or somebody who's not cool. And then we'll go ahead and, you know, we'll, we'll say that cuss word or we'll, we'll take a drink because everybody else is doing it. Or take it to older people. You're in the corporate world and, you know, uh, the boss asks you to do something that you know is unethical. But they are paying your paycheck. And it's like, oh, man, you know, I got a mortgage. I got a wife. I got three kids. I got to take care. I got, I, got, I, got, I got two pets to take care of. Oh, man. You know, but I'm a Christian. I know I shouldn't be doing this. But then we, we kind of bow down because we don't want, we don't want to be without the, the money. We don't want to be without the funds. Right? We need to have integrity. We need to have integrity no matter what. No matter what comes across our plate in this game of life to ensure that we are not tarnishing our witness for Christ. Only identifying with Jesus Christ when it's convenient shows that our heart is not truly in the right place. The Bible is clear. If we are ashamed to identify with Jesus Christ before men, He will be ashamed to identify us with Him before His Father. 
and we don't ever want that to be said of us when that day comes when we go before the Bema seat to be judged of what we did with Jesus while we were here on earth. Okay, the third main point is this. We are to have a clear conscience before God and man. Paul could be cheerful about his defense of the gospel because he was willing to identify with Jesus Christ no matter what. That genuine, sincere relationship with Jesus Christ also allowed Paul to have a clear conscience before God and man. How important is it to live with a clear conscience? Extremely. Man, that's the difference between you being having peace and you being just your brain, your life is rattled with all kind of stuff. And I can speak from experience. I never, Lord willing, want to go back to the lifestyle I used to live because I have a clear conscience now. I don't have to wake up in the middle of the night thinking about what did I do to this person? What did I do to that person? What did I do to myself? What is the life I'm living? What are these activities I'm taking part of? We want to have a clear conscience before God and man. Quickly, I'm going to give you five benefits of having a clear conscience. The first one is it brings tranquility to your heart. You can't be at peace with God if your conscience is not clear. If you're hiding sin, I don't care what it is. We want to say big sin, little sin. What did Jesus say? Yeah, it's not good for people to take a knife and stab somebody and murder them. But it's like, dude, if you've already got that intention and that malice in your heart, you've already committed the act of murder. You just need to go out and physically do it. Some people say, well, I've never committed adultery. I, I, w- I would never. I'm, 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 such a, I'm such a model good Christian. I, I pay my tithes. I, I serve in the church. I I wear a suit. I'm just playing because some people who wear suits are cool. Some people that dress like me can be straight dogs. All I'm saying is this. If you've looked at that woman, if you've looked at that man with lustful intentions in your heart, you've already done the act. You've already done it. Right? So it's not a matter of big sin, little sin. It's a matter of do not, you and I, hide sin from God. Don't try to hide it from people. Don't try to hide it from God. If we do... This is what's going to happen. You're just going to be stressed out. (laughs) You're just going to be stressed out. You're going to be stressed out spiritually, mentally, emotionally, and physically. It will develop itself and bubble out of you in ways that you would never have expected it. And people that have discernment, right? We all have the same Holy Spirit, right? We can't get over on each other, folks. People are going to know. Someone's going to be like, hmm... And it's not going to be to, to, to point it out to wrong them, but to say, hey, I mean, I got concern for you. I, I have love for you. And, 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 and there's something going on, right? We've experienced this within those in our circles, or our close-knit families, people that we love, where something went on. We're like, man, something's not right. Something's not right. Talk to me, brother. Talk to me, sister. What's going on, right? We know because the Holy Spirit gives us discernment. But when we try to hide things, it just piles on stress that you and I don't need. So that's the first thing, is that having a good conscience brings us tranquility of the heart. The second is, it brings joy. 
A good conscience is always joyful and holds no wrong against anyone. I'll say this, eventually, (laughs) right? Because the reality is we will hold wrong against somebody for an extended amount of time. And when we're ready and we respond to the Lord the way we're supposed to, right? We will give that forgiveness that's needed because we have a good conscience and we have the joy of the Lord. We can do this only because we recognize what God has forgiven us of, right? We always want to look to, well, this person is wicked because look at what they did. But the reality is, right, the heart of man and woman is deceitfully wicked, right? So all of us, apart from the grace of God, are just as wicked as that person who's, who's done that heinous thing that is atrocious to us and it makes our stomach turn when we turn on the news and see, man, another, another just sickening statistic of some crime that someone did. But, but you know what? We will pass a judgment because, yes, it's not right, but understand that you and I have that capacity to do that same thing if left unchecked. Praise God that we have the Holy Spirit living in us and some of the dumb, neurotic, weird, strange things that pass through our minds. We don't go act on, right? I'm not, I, don't th- I don't think up everything, but let me tell you, there are things that pass through my mind. You'd be like, I don't want that person to be my pastor. What the heck is wrong with you? And I, I'm like, I don't want that. What is wrong with me, Lord? Why do I even think that, right? But these things happen. But again, when you're girded in the truth, When you have Jesus Christ deep down on the inside and the Holy Spirit is living in you, those things get filtered out, right? And you don't have to go to, you know, a psych ward and be evaluated for this and that. And we pray for those people that, you know, they're just pumping them full of medicine and saying, writing them off, saying this is that, this is wrong with them. No, there's a spiritual battle going on that your industry doesn't want to talk about because the pharmaceuticals are making so much money off all these people that they're saying are insane and this and that and blah, 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 blah. It's spiritual at the end of the day. They need somebody to pray the blood of Jesus Christ over their life and have someone there to help them and intervene and walk them through this so they can get out of that muck and that mire and that stronghold that Satan's got on them psychologically. Not a rabbit hole. It just kind of goes that way when you start explaining kind of what's going on with all these things. All right. The next is this. It brings contentment. Man, a clear conscience. It brings contentment. You can, you're content. You know, you're, you're, you're okay with things. One of the benefits of a good conscience, again, is contentment. The Bible is clear. Contentment in Christ is great gain. I mean, you're like, I don't have to keep up with the Joneses. Do I really need that new 2021 GMC truck, do I really need it? I mean, it would be nice. It would be cool. Do I really need that new set? Do I really need those new tools? I mean, again, it's not wrong to have things. It's not wrong to have new things. It's not wrong to have nice things. It's not. But contentment. There's a, there's a sweater that I want to get. <laughs> a sweatshirt. And the first thing my wife said, it's $80. You can't justify spending $80 on a Jordan sweatshirt when people are out here, COVID-19 going crazy. People ain't got no place to live. People ain't got no food. I was like, you're right. Okay. So I was looking, looking, looking. I'm like, okay, get that out of my mind. (laughs) And then I found another one, not a Jordan brand, but a different one. I said, it's $44. 
And I found a coupon online for 10% off. I could get it for $40 before shipping. So I haven't bought it yet. And, uh, you know, still probably can't justify that. But, you know, it's like, it's contentment. And my wife, she's, you know, it's a good balancing act with us. Because she's like, how many sweatshirts do you have? Do you need another sweatshirt? And I'm like, well, I will give this sweatshirt away. You know, I will give this sweatshirt away so I can have another one. And I always, always, uh, I always uh, just joke around with Marcus because, you know, he's, he's, I can tell he's a shoe guy. And I've been wearing this same pair of Jordans for the last two years. And, uh, but I got brand new shoes in the closet that I've never worn. I think they say after you don't wear them for so long, they start, the rubber start might messing up. So I might want to start wearing these other shoes that are so expensive. But anyways, another rabbit hole, but I'm just saying, contentment. Contentment in Christ is great gain, meaning you don't have to you don't have to give in to every compulsion to want the new next thing. You can be content with where you're at. You can be content with what you have, knowing that it's okay, it's enough. Because really, right, that new sweatshirt ain't gonna fulfill me. It ain't gonna make me happy. It's gonna make me happy while I open it up and then put it on and then it'll look in the mirror. But then a week later. It's like it lost its luster. It's uh, you know, it's not even uh, it's not new anymore. You know, it's not new anymore. And that's why we need to be content. That's why we need to find our contentment in Christ. Because when you find your contentment in Jesus Christ, you don't have to be running for every new thing. But when you do get something that's new that you haven't had, you can enjoy it and not be overtaken by it. You can enjoy it and not be controlled by the thing. Right? A lot of times people get stuff and they're controlled by get a brand new car. Man, I got a 450 engine, got the 26 inch rims, and got two 18 inch subwoofers in the back. And all they do, they worship that car every day. Gotta be clean. Oh, armor all. Oh, there you go. You know, I gotta, gotta, gotta have all this. And, and, and my association with this material thing, I'm drawing my, my meaning from. The Lord doesn't want that. The Lord's saying, Yes, have nice things. Don't let them control you. That comes from being content in Christ. The next thing is this. Having a clear conscience looks to things above. Once again, we see the benefits of having an eternal perspective focused on Jesus Christ rather than just a short-sighted worldly perspective. Again, I'll go back to that sweatshirt. If I'm stuck on this sweatshirt... I'm going to be bummed out that one, my wife said, don't buy it because it's $80, the first sweatshirt. And then two, if I'm not right with Christ, I'm going to find some way and scheme to where I can get it and be like, even though we have a joint checking account, it's not like she, well, she's not going to see that the money got taken out. And I'm going to go through all this trouble just so I can have this thing, right? But if I have an eternal perspective in Christ, I'll be far easy. It'll be far easier for me to let go of this desire, right? It's like I had the desire. Clearly, clearly it's been shown it's not the best thing that I should be spending my time or my money on. So it's like, okay, Lord, you know, take that from me. Let your will be done, right? But when I'm not focused on him, it's just going to be difficult because I'm going to be have a short-sighted perspective and I'm looking through the lens of life through a worldly perspective. And what does the world say? Live your best life now. Get it all now while you can. Just do it all. Just And it's just like, how the people lived in the Roman culture back in the day. No regard for anything, but just fill your belly, feed the sensation of lust. Doesn't doesn't have to be sexual. Could be with power. Could be with intrigue. Could be with money. 
but it's fill your natural desires as much as you want. Who cares about the consequences? You will draw your confidence from the never-changing almighty God of the universe and not from this ever-shifting world if you have a perspective that's eternal. And the last thing, I know this has been a long intro, but it's very important that we set the groundwork for what these verses talk about. The fifth thing, the fifth good factor of having a clear conscience is you seek after the truth. When you live a life with a clear conscience, you can openly seek the truth who is Jesus Christ. When you feel guilty, that creates a wedge between you and the Lord. Sin creates that wedge. I say that because Satan will use guilt to try to get you to believe that you don't deserve forgiveness. When you can recognize that the grace and the mercy of Jesus Christ has been given to you, you can more easily receive that forgiveness and in turn seek the face of God because you know that He didn't just die on the cross to die on the cross. He didn't just do it to do it. He did it because there was an eternal perspective, an eternal plan to redeem all of humanity that would choose to be reconciled to Him. All we have to do is humble ourselves and receive that forgiveness and it's granted. All right. We're going to be looking at verses 10 through 13. There's just two couplets and then the the message is going to be over. So it says, And when the governor had nodded to him to speak, uh, this is Paul, Paul replied, Knowing that for many years you have been a judge over this nation, I cheerfully make my defense. You can verify that it is not more than 12 days since I went up to worship in Jerusalem, And they did not find me disputing with anyone or stirring up a crowd, either in the temple or in the synagogues or in the city. Neither can they prove to you what they now bring up against me. Okay, so right off the bat here, we see a great contrast between how the Jewish lawyer addressed Felix and how Paul addresses him. While the Jewish high-powered lawyer went the route of flattery, Paul didn't. All Paul did was acknowledge the truth of Felix's position as a worldly judge over the nation. Paul really knew the truth of how we are to interact with others. While the religious leaders thought they knew how to interact, but they didn't. Paul didn't esteem Felix just so he could be heard. Instead, Paul trusted in the Lord that the Lord would speak up on Paul's behalf. And again, we come to this statement, I do the more cheerfully answer for myself. This is our first main point. Paul was happy to answer for himself, knowing that the facts of the case were in his favor. Because of Paul's true conversion and everyday lifestyle being hidden in Jesus Christ, he was free from shame and guilt. The freedom, you see, from shame and guilt allowed him to serve the Lord wholeheartedly. This wholehearted devotion Paul 
possessed allowed him to be cheerful standing before the governor Felix. Paul was full of the joy of the Lord, a joy that this world cannot give. Only God can give this kind of joy and the actual ability to enjoy it. See, that's the thing. Not only does God give joy, we must understand he gives the ability to enjoy. That's why if I go buy that, I'll go back to that sweatshirt. If I go and I buy that sweatshirt, God could be like, you know what? I'm not going to let you enjoy that because honestly, that's just a dumb thing to do. You're just, you're looking to this material thing to fill you. And again, like I, like the word of God says, the luster is going to only last for but a brief moment. And then it's, uh, I'm empty again, right? So we need God to not only give us the gift of joy, but for the Lord Jesus Christ to as well give us the ability and the gift to enjoy the joy. And that means enjoyment. Think about it. You people who are grandparents, you enjoy your grandchildren. Why? Because truly your grandchildren are a gift from the Lord. And all the little nuances and all the little things they do. Or, or people, those of you that are, that are new parents, right? I have a daughter that's one and, a, one and a half years old. And it's like the joy that I get, the, 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 the gift it is. Just seeing all the little wacky, I mean, this girl, she's crazy. She's a bully. She is a bully. She bullies Kalos. And Kalos is such a good little boy because he doesn't flash back. He just always says, why? Why does she scratch me? Why does she bite me? Why does she do this? And it's like, dude, I don't know, man. I guess that's just siblings. That's just your little sister. She's going to always be in a terror around you. But the joy, the gift, he allows us to enjoy that because it's, it's his will to. It's, it's a good thing. Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verse 13 tells us, also, that everyone should eat and drink and take pleasure in all his toil. This is God's gift to man. Did you know your work should be enjoyable? Your work should be enjoyable. If you're in a profession, and if you're, excuse me, if you're in a profession where you hate your job, that's a red light. Get out. Find something else. Don't, don't do something just because you're making money. Right? That's the kind of the situation with my wife right now. She enjoys the medical profession. She does. And for her to have to say, man, I, I need to cut my hours. I'm just, I'm, my heart's not in it. I, I do the job well. And I feel like I'm shortchanging this company because they're looking to me like, oh, this is going to be the new blah, 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 blah person doing this. And she's like, I'm, <laughs> I'm out of here, y'all. I don't want to be here. This is the, like I, I enjoy your company. But unless you can find another position for me that's not full time, part time, not doing this, I'm not in it. My heart's not in it. And, and, and that's the thing. You know, we got to be obedient to the Lord at the end of the day. Yeah, the money's good. But is the money worth the time you're losing with your family? Your mental, emotional, psychological health, the fact that you can't do other things, it's not. So you need to enjoy. It should be a, a joy to do what you do. It should be. It really should. Part of the fruit of your labor for Jesus Christ is to enjoy freedom to serve Him, unhindered by guilt or shame. That's another thing. If if I ever come to a place where I am servant leading out of an empty place, I'm going to get out of the ministry. I have no business being in the ministry if I'm serving out of an empty place. 
if I do not wake up and enjoy to go before the Lord in prayer, if I do not enjoy to go before the Lord and minister to Him and have Him minister to me through the Word and enjoy to have Him speak to me to be able to put together these messages and, and to, bre- to preach, if I do not have the desire to want to be up here, I get out of the ministry. Get out. There's people that stay because they're like, well, I got the perks. I don't want to leave. Or well, they think, <laughs> they do this. They say, if I, if I step down, the church is going to fall apart. Dude, it's not your church, bro. It's Jesus Christ's church. You're, in, you're dispensable. Get you out real quick. Get somebody else in. It doesn't revolve around some man, right? Heart's got to be in it. There should be a joy. Honestly, I'm just keeping it real. It's not about me. I know it's the Lord because I cannot go in that bathroom and be sweeping and be all <laughs> like I'm happy about it. Nastiness out there in the in the, in, in the parking lot. I'm over here sweeping and, I, and I'm not, you know, I'm not all begrudging about it because it's like it's the joy of the Lord. I don't care about that. It's like it's to do Lord. I'll serve you however you see fit. We always want to be in that place. The freedom to enjoy and serve him unhindered by guilt or shame. The application is this. If you want to be able to be cheerful in the face of opposition and persecution that you will face, then you need to be hidden in Christ and allow him to be in you. This occurs once you and I fully submit to Jesus Christ, inviting him to live in our hearts. Then begins the lifelong process of you continually growing in Christ. As you spiritually, excuse me, mature, you will enjoy Jesus Christ more and more. That's why I talk about the message of the cross should never get old. When we hear the blood of Jesus Christ and his shed blood and him laying his life down and raising his life back up, if we ever roll our eyes to that, oh man, and I'm, I'm fired up about that. I'm not saying you guys, I'm just saying I'm fired up in my own heart and soul about that because if we ever bat our eyes to that, That means the condition of our heart is beginning to get rocky. It's not right. Do you realize the depravity that you were in before Jesus Christ came and grabbed you out of the muck and the mire of sin and death? Right? Can't nobody go speak to those who have already gone on to the the next place to eternity. But I can guarantee you those souls that are unfortunately in hell. Right? The Bible speaks of it. The rich man that's... I'm going to step over you. And then now he's talking about, oh, please tell my other family members. It's too late. They got the prophets. They ain't going to listen to them. They ain't going to listen. Right? So we can never take it for granted. We don't ever want to get to a place where the message of Jesus Christ gets old. Again, I've heard other pastors say it, and I believe it's true. I got nothing for you every Sunday but Jesus Christ and him crucified. That's it. I don't got nothing else. The Bible don't talk about nothing else. All 66 books reference Jesus Christ and the importance of who Jesus Christ is. And if we can't see the importance of that, we need to get in our prayer closets and pray that the Lord break our stony hearts so we can understand the depth of who Jesus Christ is and how his his life is so applicable to us on every level. And you don't have to be weird about it. You know, you can be yourself. You don't got to be, and I'm not bashing them, but I did. we did watch some some Amish, Amish something yesterday. It's like a reality show on TLC. And it was, I was like, wow, man, that's crazy how the world's influence has even gotten to people like that, that they're super secluded. But then I'm like, dude, y'all look more worldly than me. 
<laughs> over here doing crazy stuff. Talking about my Medianite mother is not going to allow it, this and that, and people denouncing their faith, and people, oh, it was just, it was crazy. Um, that's a rabbit hole. Sorry, that is a real rabbit hole. I will not talk about that. <clears throat> Obviously, there will be moments in our spiritual lives where we may feel a bit dry. But we shouldn't have a lifestyle as Christians of having dry bones. We shouldn't. We should not have that dryness continually in us. If so, those dry bones need to be woken up. All right. He he goes on to say, speaking of Paul, he says, nor can these men who accuse me, nor can they prove the things which they now accuse me, even though it had been no more than 12 days and many witnesses could easily have been found. Nobody showed up. (laughs) Nobody showed up to prove that he, in fact, was in the temple inciting a riot and and causing disputes. There was simply no proof of these accusations. The application is this. Today, those who deny the existence of Jesus Christ do so out of desperation. Just like those who accused Paul. Just like those who accused Jesus himself. They hold no evidence but remain adamant that Jesus Christ does not exist. They deny his, his existence because they do not want to submit to his rule. They do not want to be held accountable for their actions. They want to be their own gods so they can basically think and do whatever they want and not be responsible for anything wrong that they do. Because if you acknowledge that there is a true and holy God, you have to acknowledge that you don't measure up. And for some of us, it is extremely difficult to humble ourselves before the mighty hand of God and say, you know what? You know better than I. And for those who don't want to, that's the reality. They may, they may not even realize that they are being their own God. But by rebelling against the truth and denying who Christ is, they are in essence placing themselves in his position of God Almighty. All right, last few verses, here we go. In verse 14, But this I confess to you, that according to the way which they call a sect, I worship the God of our fathers, believing everything laid down by the law and written in the prophets, having a hope in God, which these men themselves accept, that there will be a resurrection of both the just and the unjust, So I always take pains to have a clear conscience towards both God and man. Now after several years, I came to bring alms to my nation and to present offerings. While I was doing this, they found me purified in the temple without any crown, (coughs) crowd, excuse me, or tumulet. But some Jews from Asia, they ought to be here before you to make an accusation. Uh, should they have anything against me or else let these men themselves say what wrongdoing they found when I stood before the council other than this one thing that I cried out while standing among them it is with respect to the resurrection of the dead that I am on trial before you this day okay so next we see 
according to the way which they called a sect, so I worship the God of my fathers. We see this statement. Paul made it clear that he had never abandoned the God of his fathers, his forefathers, or the law of the prophets. Instead, he acted in fulfillment of both of these things. But see, this is where the problem lied. Paul understood the truth of who the Messiah was. But many of the Jews were not on board with this same truth. Paul goes on to say, Having a hope in God, which these men themselves accept. You see, again, this is the big problem. This is where the division occurred. Both the religious Jews and Paul believed in the same God. But you see, Paul actually had an intimate relationship with God, while the religious leaders, they only knew about him. They only knew information about him. But there was no, there was no, there was no connection. There was no real relationship. The application is this. Believing someone exists and actually, and actually knowing the, them personally are two completely different things. I mean, I can... I can say I know about Abraham Lincoln because when I was in grade school, they taught about him and the log cabin and this and that. But I, I didn't know him personally. I didn't, I didn't know Abraham Lincoln. I had no connection to him. I had no real intimate relationship with him. Another example is this. I'll use it. I'm talking about all, all those shoes and that, whatever. Michael Jordan. I know about Michael Jordan. I mean... He's a basketball icon. Six rings, you know. Tom Brady got more now. He got seven. Uh, maybe if he, he played as long, Michael Jordan have seven too. But that's a whole other point. Uh, but he's got six rings, man. I mean, he, he's a basketball icon. I, I own a bunch of his shoes. I got That's all the shoes I got. They're all Jordan. That's all the brand is, Jordan. But I don't know him. I don't know that man. I, if anything, I'm making him rich. Spending all this money. Spending all that money on the shoes this is ridiculous, you know. I know about him, but I don't have a personal relationship with Michael Jordan. Paul identified with Jesus Christ, not just in theory, but because he had a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Today, do you simply know about Jesus Christ in theory? Or do you actually have an ongoing, growing relationship with him? That's a question you must ask yourself. That's a question you must be real with yourself about. Because it's one thing to have a superficial understanding of who Jesus Christ is. And then to actually have a very ongoing, growing relationship with Jesus Christ. Well, how do we know? How do you know? How do you know if you have a relationship with Jesus Christ or not? Well, who governs your decision making? Who governs your decision making? You'll know because you'll be like, <laughs> like I want to buy this sweatshirt. I keep going back to the sweatshirt. I, I want to buy this sweatshirt. And the Lord spoke to my wife. is like, because me, you know, I'll be like, uh, I didn't hear you, Lord. <laughs> I didn't hear you. I think it's all good. We got. I mean, I think we got. I think we got eighty dollars to spare. My wife's like, man, come on, you can't justify it, right? Who governs your decisions? If it's the Lord, that's one way you'll know you have a relationship with Him. Is that 
you know, you make a bad choice, you'll get that conviction, right? If you make poor choices over and over again and there's no conviction, you probably don't have a relationship with the Lord or you've allowed your relationship with the Lord to kind of get real flaky. But if you get that conviction or if you get that, ah, oh, man, okay, it's not what I wanted, but, you know, that, that's a relationship. That, that's, like a, that's like a parent-child. That's like my son. Oh, daddy, I did. This kid will go in the refrigerator, you know, because he's doing the homeschool Zoom thing right now. And, and, and while he's doing homework, he will get this big bag of small marshmallows. And this kid thinks it's okay to go to the table and just start taking marshmallows out and just popping them in his mouth. Like, dude, what are you doing, bro? Put the marshmallows back. In his mind, he thinks it's a great plan, right? But me being a responsible parent, I'm like, son, you can't do that. It's the same thing with God. We have these great ideas, the sweatshirt, and then God's like, no, it's not happening. That's how you know. That's one telltale sign to show you you have a relationship with Jesus Christ is that you get corrected. Next, Paul goes on to speak about the resurrection of the dead. This was believed by many or most devout Jews of Paul's day, though not by the Sadducees. Paul's belief that there will be a resurrection was connected to his specific trust in the res- resurrection, excuse me, of Jesus Christ. Now, you can refer to uh, the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 15. It tells you all about the resurrection of Jesus Christ and then the resurrection of the dead. It's a great read. I will just read a couple verses which point this out. It's in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 verses 12 through 14. And it says, Now, if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? If there is no resurrection of the dead then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. We know that's not the case, but Paul, but Paul excuse me, uh, makes that uh, statement to show how clear the truth is of Jesus Christ and Him being resurrection, resurrected. Excuse me. Both of the just and the unjust. Paul clearly believes in a resurrection of both the righteous and the unrighteous. The ideal of this whole soul sleeping is not accurate in according with the Bible. In accordance with the Bible, it's not. We will all stand before the Lord Almighty to be judged for what we have done in this life. Some may think they are getting away scot-free. That may be so before men on this side of eternity. But even in death, be sure your sin will find you out. Unfortunately, I had to find out news about uh, the well-known apologetist Ravi Zacharias, right? I, I, I had, uh, you know, listened to him for a very long time. And I guess after he passed away, you know, there, was, uh, <clears throat> there, there were things that were, there were accusations that were coming out against him. Come to find out those, actual, ac- those accusations were true. I won't get into all the, the nitty-gritty of what the man did, and I'm not trying to discredit uh, the ministry that the Lord used through him and the many people who had been either saved or came to Christ through, you know, what he did. Uh, but the cold facts are that even in this man's death, be sure his sin found him out. And now that whole RZIM movement and everything is not in a good place. And uh, it's, you know, it's, it's sad when we see uh, men of God fall like that. But this is why the Lord created repentance. You see, repentance is such an important part of the Christian faith. 
So we don't need to head into eternity dragging around guilt and shame. Conviction is a beautiful thing because it leads to repentance of sin. If you never get convicted of anything anymore, that's a red light warning sign that you are drifting off into dangerous territory. We want to always allow the Holy Spirit to convict us. Next, Paul says, I came to bring alms and offering. This refers to the collection Paul made for the Judeo-Christians among the Gentile churches. God bless you. Next, we see the obvious thing that Paul points out. They ought to, they ought to have been here to object. In this, Paul reminds Felix that there was no eyewitness testimony to prove the charges or accusations against him. This was a strong point in his defense. The people who had raised this huge cry in the first place, claiming to be eyewitnesses of Paul's uh, you know, wrongdoings in the temple, had never been present. Because Paul was in the right, he consistently called the case back to the evidence, the very thing his accusers avoided. Think about it. If no one ever was there, the case, you know, you have no case. That's why attorneys go through so much trouble gathering key witnesses to strengthen their case. This is the last part. This is our application for this, and then we'll close. Christians should never be timid or ashamed about the truth or the evidence of who Jesus Christ is. If we are truly following God, the truth and evidence are our friends, not our accusers. We will possess a clear conscience and not be hindered by guilt and shame. Don't let the enemy intimidate you, but allow the love and mercy and grace of Jesus Christ to strengthen you. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, again, just thank you for the truth that we find in your word, Lord. The fact that you love us and you care for us. The fact that you go before us. You're with us through every circumstance of life. And that you call us to not have a spirit of fear, but a spirit of love. Lord, let those truths ring loud in our hearts today. Father, we thank you and we love you. Lord, we pray this all in the mighty, precious name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen.